Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, if, um, if someone were to walk up to you today especially and say something like, He is risen, how would you respond? Okay, that was a good practice swing. Good practice swing. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen. Yeah, yeah, you knocked that one out of the park. Good stuff, good stuff. I am glad you're here, and I'm glad to get to be here with you to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here and grateful for that. And I pray that you are uh, just filled with joy to be a part of what followers of Jesus have gathered and celebrated uh, for over 2,000 years as the most important day on the calendar. This is it. The resurrection of Jesus, this is how important it was to the early church. God's people used to gather on Saturdays to worship. After Jesus came out of the grave on a Sunday, they thought, hey, we're going to switch our days of worship. We're going to move it to Sundays. Now, I don't know everybody here. Some of you may not be followers of Jesus, but just so you know, you got a benefit out of the resurrection too, because when the church started worshiping on Sundays, you got a two-day weekend. What a gift, what a gift, you know, so, so, so there you have it, something to be, to be excited about, something to, to, to celebrate about. It's just a, a great day to be here. Now, the resurrection is not only a celebration for us, the resurrection is actually an answer to a huge problem that humanity has. It's an answer to the problem that I believe you've actually sensed at some time in some way in your life. I remember years back, um, I was uh, with a group from our church. We had gone on a mission trip into Bayamo, Cuba, and we were working with a church there, and we had uh, been there several days, and we had had a long day of serving at that church, and we were going back home uh, in the dark. It was at night. We'd been on this road before, but I don't remember being on it in the dark, but at that night, as we were driving down the road, uh, just a mob of people came running at us, hollering. And I'm not a great Spanish speaker. Hola, I can do that. Um, but I was seated next to one of our hosts, and these people were running by hollering. Our driver had stopped and started backing up. And it was just kind of a little tense moment there for just a second. And the, the guy that was kind of our host, I said, what in the world? He said, they've shouted something about a stabbing. And so our driver backs up and turns down this road, uh, trying to get us back to the church. And um, while he's doing that, another kind of crowd of people are running down the street. So he starts driving around a little bit, taking us into parts of town that he never intended us to take us, I don't believe. But he got us back safely to the motel. It was all good and beautiful. But later that night, as I was just kind of sitting in that, it just kind of struck me. We weren't made for that moment. You know, we, we were in a place that we never intended to be. Our driver did not intend to, to take us in some of that. And it was, just a, it was just kind of a tense kind of feeling. And I imagine everybody in here has had an experience like that maybe multiple times where the circumstances of your moment landed you in a place that you just knew intuitively, I wasn't supposed to be here. 
I wasn't designed to, to have to face something like this. Maybe, maybe it was standing beside the grave of someone that you love. And you just knew that the story wasn't supposed to, to end like this. I know some in our own church family who have been told this marriage is over. And you thought, no, no, it, we're not supposed to, to be here. Or maybe, maybe when a friend, you know, stabs you in the back. Or maybe in a moment when you didn't get that job that you knew that you were perfectly suited for. It, it just didn't happen. And, and you have felt that kind of existential angst just in, in your soul that life just doesn't go the way it seems like it's supposed to go. And we kind of think in those moments, there's got to be a better story. I love what C.S. Lewis said about that line of thinking in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Anybody ever felt like that? You know, just kind of felt like, I wasn't made, I was made for something different than, than the mess that we're in right now. You know who would agree with you? God. God. God would agree with you. God would say, that's not the way I designed this. It was not my, my intent. I'd, these aren't my plans. And so we all have these moments when we live with that angst. It's this ache deep in our souls. We long for something more. We know we weren't designed to say those goodbyes. We were designed to live forever. And because of that, we, we all have some eternal residue in our lives, and in, in our souls that's left. It's imprinted in us. And that's why I believe that God wanted me to, to bring this particular message today. I'm not going to use what often on Easter I normally have used uh, in days past um, where about Jesus' specific resurrection. We're going to talk about that, sure. But I believe there's some things about the resurrection that, that the Lord wants you to know. And this is one of the first things. Resurrection is God's answer to that ache in your soul when you experience it. It's his anchor, answer to, to our, our, our ache. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. So I would encourage you, if you want to follow along in your Bible, to do that. Um, it's going to, all the scripture is going to come up on the screens that we use today. The, the context for uh, what we're about to read from the scriptures is John's uh, eyewitness account of a historic moment. It was in Jesus' earthly ministry, and Jesus' ministry was coming to a, a, a close. He was making his way towards Jerusalem uh, for that day when he would give his life sacrificially uh, to save the world from sin. And at this point, he was about 25 miles or so away from the village called Bethany, where some of his dearest friends lived, and one of those being a man by the name uh, of Lazarus. And Lazarus uh, had fallen very ill, and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, 
And if you look at verse 3, if you've got your Bible open and you want to look at it, they said to him, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, there was some implication to that, and it would be, I, we've seen you heal lots of people. The implication is, how about come and heal Lazarus? But if you look down in verse 6, strangely, the Bible tells us that Jesus stayed for two more days. He didn't move. He didn't head towards Bethany. He stayed where he was. And, and it, it's like Jesus was just sitting on his hands. And it made the disciples a little anxious, if you read the details there. And eventually, Lazarus dies. And after that, Jesus decides, let's go to Bethany. And this is where we're going to pick the story up today in, in verse 21. Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, hears that Jesus is coming, and she runs out to meet him. And I want you to look at what she said to him. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have died, would not have died. Now, have you ever said anything like that to God, maybe in prayer? God, if you'd have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. God, if you'd have done this, things would have turned out so differently. God, if, if, if you'd have done something. And Martha continues on. She said, you know, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Whatever you ask, he, he will answer. Man, that's just a great Great faith statement. She, she had such great faith in Jesus. Now look at Jesus' reply to her in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. He'll rise again. Beautiful statement. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of mood that Jesus used, what reflects in his words he used. But I think, I imagine Jesus said it with kindness and confidence, but I'm not so sure that's how Martha heard it. Because look at how she responds to Jesus' statement, verse 24. I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. I think Martha is saying, Jesus, I, I know that he's going to rise. But I think she kind of might have felt a little brushed off. Like she may have interpreted what Jesus said to say, come on, Martha, we all know the story's not going in this way. Where's your faith, girl? Someday your brother's going to rise again. And it's almost like Martha looks at Jesus and says, I know, I know about someday. I'm struggling with today. I, I, right, right in the here and now. I, I have hope for that distant future, but Jesus, I got some real pain right now. I got some real struggle right now. I got some real hurt in my life right now. Have you ever thought about Resurrection Day? That way, you know, maybe, yeah, God, I know it's coming, I, I, but I need, I need you today. Well, in the resurrection, followers of Jesus for 2,000 years, we have been basing our lives on resurrection power to give us hope and strength, not just in eternity, but now, even in the midst of some of the greatest terrible circumstances and, and tragedies. The greatest oppression, literally at, at times, people being martyred for their faith. Now listen to what Jesus says to this response from Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha said, I know he's going to rise again. And Jesus said, Martha, you did not hear me. You, you, you thought I was saying something about just the end. 
Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, a couple of things going on, I believe, and there's lots of things going on, but two things, I think, in that statement. First, Jesus is pointing to a fact that's yet to occur. He's pointing to what's about to happen because a very short time after this moment, Jesus would go into Jerusalem, and there Jesus would be arrested and falsely tried. He would be, uh, he would be beaten. He would be uh, crucified on a Roman cross. He would be buried in a tomb, a borrowed, borrowed cave, basically. And then he would come out three days later with new life in his hands. Jesus doesn't say, Martha, I'll be resurrected one day. He, he doesn't point just to that. He says, I am the resurrection. As if to say, Martha, not only am I going to come out of the grave, but when I come out, I'm going to take everybody with me who follows me. I'm going to take everybody who has a relationship with me out of that grave too. Keep reading, verse 25. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked Martha the single most important question that anyone has ever asked anyone else. Martha, do you believe this? Now, remember, Jesus is coming to Martha in all of this brokenness, all of her pain, all of her sorrow. She's just buried a brother. The, the, the tears on her cheeks probably haven't even completely dried. And Martha feels like this is the end of the story. But Jesus is saying, time out. Martha, it's just the middle, babe. Martha, you, you thought this was a period at the end of Lazarus's life. It's not. It, it's just a comma. There's, there's more to come. Martha, that tomb that you've been looking at is about to become a womb for new life. Something's about to happen. See, Jesus is claiming that because he would walk out of the grave, they didn't understand it all yet, but because he would walk out of the grave one day, people who follow him would too. And resurrection is an eternal hope that Jesus speaks into the present hurt that Martha was walking through. And friends, in your life and my life, that's what resurrection is. Resurrection is the eternal hope that Jesus speaks into our present hurts. He speaks resurrection into our present hurts. Jesus is saying, Martha, I know. I know what this feels like, but it's not the end. Friends, if you've ever read through the four Gospels, you know that Jesus is not the, the kind of person, the kind of God who just tries to blow you off by pointing to the end. Jesus would weep with people. He, he would be with people in their, in their struggle. See, Jesus hurts with us. He hurts for us because he knows how sin and death have fractured his good creation. But, but today, we see that one day he's going to redeem all hurt. He's going to redeem all pain. He's going to do it all through resurrection. Now, I, I think oftentimes I am and, and maybe you are sometimes a little bit like Martha. We just kind of go, yeah, I, I get it, resurrection, someday. But God, what about today? God, today I'm facing, I'm facing great pain. 
today I'm, I'm struggling. And we just need to know that Jesus who said, I am the resurrection, brings that power today. Reminding us he's going to wipe away every, every tear. See, the certain hope of resurrection, it, it, its purpose is not so that we will try to just distance ourselves e- emotionally from the pain that we're in. It, it's not that. See, God, God wants us to feel the feelings that we're having. He gave them to us. He wants to guide us through those as he, he walks with us through our pain. That's the Jesus of the Bible. The resurrection as just a distant thought isn't some quick fix to simply medicate our souls. It's not uh, an opiate for the masses like some have, you know, said about the resurrection. Resurrection is a truth. It's the truth that we can step into now that give our lives hope for sure, but also meaning. The resurrection gives our, our lives purpose right now. I don't know, I don't know what you walked in to this building today facing. I don't know what happened in your life this past week, but here's what I do know. Jesus walked out of the grave, and when he walked out, if you've put your trust in him, he was carrying you. He he was carrying you out too, so we can be confident that whatever suffering we're going through, it is not the end of the story because he is the resurrection and the life. You know, there, there, somebody said, you know, it sounds like a good time to just pray and go home. Well, here's the, here's the thing about that. Jesus didn't end there. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples. He didn't just tell Martha what resurrection was, that he is it. Jesus then paints a picture, this beautiful picture. He's not, Jesus isn't content to just give you information. He wants you to experience this. And and what happens next is kind of a snapshot. If we were in literature class, it would be called foreshadowing of of what is yet to come. This is what Jesus is doing with this, this family that he loves in John chapter 11. And so Jesus walks up to the tomb of Lazarus. And when he does, it's a picture of how he wants to step into your life today. Jump down to verse 38. It says where Jesus finally approaches the tomb. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. The passage has already told us how Jesus' heart was moved, causing him to weep. But he says here he's moved again. This time the the Greek language speaks to Jesus' being moved again. Jesus was indignant in this moment. Jesus was ticked off at, at death. He was ticked off at this tomb. Look what he does. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone had been laid against it. And Jesus said, verse 39, take away the stone. Well, when Jesus says that, Martha kind of steps up to Jesus and says, hold on. Jesus, you don't understand what's going on here. She said, she went on to say, she said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now, there's sometimes you just have to go back to King James Version. And this is one of those verses you just got to go back to. Because nobody nobody translates this verse like King James does. Here's what King James translates what Martha said. He stinketh. (laughs) Not, Not there's some little odor. Jesus, he stinketh. That's just the truth about it. I just, I love, that's a descriptive phrase. So there was this odor issue. But there was another reason 
that the, the, the four days are specifically mentioned. In Jesus' day, there was a non-biblical kind of rabbinic tradition that said that the soul, when somebody died, the soul would hover over the body for three days just in case it woke up and it jumped back in. That was, it's not biblical, it's not true, but that was a belief in that day. So when Martha was pointing out four days, she was saying, that's past. He's, he, he's dead, you know. He's not just uh, mostly dead. Thank you, Princess Bride. He's not just mostly dead. He's, he's totally dead. It's been four days. Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes. Jesus is praying now, and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. And then I love, I just love this snapshot of our Lord in prayer. I mean, this is just kind of a by, byline here for a minute. If this is where the power of God flowed through Jesus was through his prayer life, how much do you think it might flow through us that way? If we want to see the power of God in our lives, we've got to go to God in prayer too. Maybe we should consider that. But now it's at this point that I want us to slow down. We move from this, through this story pretty quickly because we're getting to this, this picture, this foreshadowing, this snapshot of Jesus' own resurrection as well as ours. Verse 43. When Jesus said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Now, remember the setting. This is a funeral. Okay? This is a funeral. There are a lot of people there. And suddenly, Jesus is standing in front of a, of a cave. The stone's been rolled away. And he hollers. The Bible says he shouts into this cave. Now, I don't know how you imagine that shout. I use my sanctified imagination when I think about it. And I think of it being kind of like at a Stingray's hockey match. Or like WrestleMania or something like that. And so when Jesus shouts, this is what I think he does. Lazarus, come out. That's what I think he does. I think he shouts it out. And, you know... People get a little freaky if you do stuff like that at a funeral. I just, I just wondered if there was this silent shock that just kind of came over the crowd in that moment, not knowing what to do. Let, let's, let's do just, just a little project together for a moment, okay? What did Lazarus bring to his resurrection? Death. That's the, he, he brought nothing. He didn't bring anything to this party that was about to break out except death. Somebody stopped me after the, second, or after the first service and said, well, he brought the stank too. You know, he brought the death and the stank. Uh, okay, so we'll give you the stank. Um, he, brought, he brought the death and, and the stink, and this, but that's it. Lazarus was passive in this resurrection. This shows us something else about what resurrection is. Resurrection is an act of God's grace. It is not a work of our will. 
This is not a, a thing that you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get. This is not anything that, you know, you could work hard for God and you're going to earn yourself a resurrection. This is the grace of God. Not, it's not a work of will. The only thing, the only thing that anyone will ever bring to their own resurrection is death. That, that's it. See, this is why, why we have to throw ourselves wholly on the grace and mercy of God. Because that's all we can bring to this. Trusting the one who created life in the first place and has promised that he is going to resurrect it and recreate it. Because he loves too much for you to be taken away from him by sin or death. And so Jesus steps into our ache and he heals us through resurrection. But friends, it is his work. He's the one doing the work, not ours. Here's, here's a second thing around this that I just want to point out. I, I love that Jesus walks up and calls Lazarus by name. He names him. And I just started thinking about this a little bit. I've heard somebody else talk about this before, but it just prompted this thought again. If Lazarus' tomb, let's say it was part of a bigger cemetery, if Jesus had not walked up and called Lazarus' name, if he just walked up and said, come out! Could you imagine what might have happened? I mean, d- dead bodies start waking up and stretching. <gasps> oh, hi, I'm Bob. Been dead about 72 years. Glad to meet you. Jesus came specifically. Jesus called out Lazarus personally intimately by name that helps me some helps me understand something else about what I believe resurrection is resurrection is a personal call not just a corporate announcement now yes I'm familiar with passages of scripture in Matthew chapter 25 and 1 Corinthians 15 that talk about the day of resurrection and the trumpet's going to sound. But I also know some other things. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 25. He said, truly, truly, anytime Jesus tells you, truly, truly, you better listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come out. Paul, writing about this to the church at Thessalonica, says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. When Jesus comes back, he's going to cry a command. And then it says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. I love the way that he called Lazarus forth because that helps me understand that this is a personal matter. And when that cry of command comes, I'm going to hear it this way. Joe! Get up, boy. And you're going to hear your name. That cry of command is personal. It is intimate because resurrection is that way. Jesus deals with us personally. You're going to hear your name and you're going to come out of, out of that grave to life eternal. And that's why when Jesus is talking about this with Martha, 
He makes it personal. He says, Martha, do you believe this? He doesn't ask Martha, hey, Martha, does your family believe this stuff? He doesn't say, hey, Martha, does your church, does your church teach this and believe this? No. It was personal. He said, Martha, do you believe this? Back in 1890, the now famous Vincent Van Gogh was hospitalized. He was battling some uh, mental, emotional anguish as well as battling some physical issues. And while he was there, his brother sent him a, a, a copy of Rembrandt's painting of the resurrection of Lazarus. And this was a time near the end of, of, of Van Gogh's life. And he decided that he would do his own interpretation and his own painting, if you would. Can you bring that, that painting up? Thank you. Uh, you know, he was kind of this post-impressionist uh, in his style of painting. And he made some very distinct changes to this. The most important change that uh, Van Gogh made is on Lazarus, the Lazarus character's face. You know whose face that is? It's Van Gogh's. He did a self-portrait on the body of Lazarus. Now, I don't know if this was because he was trying to preach the gospel to himself. I don't know if it was because of where he was in life and his soul needed, needed hope. But I think what, what he was trying to maybe say to himself is, maybe I can be resurrected too. I, I can be resurrected too. Friends, if you've trusted Jesus, you can put your face there. He, you're you're going to be raised too. Now, I know, I know, I know. The Bible says, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. And yes to that, I say Yes and amen, that's what the Bible says. But God, in loving the whole world, loved you individually, personally, specifically. When he died, he had you on his mind. When he came out of the grave, he had you on his mind. Why do you believe this, Joe? You might say, why do you, why do you believe God's that personal? Because when Jesus taught about his father, that's how he talked about him. Jesus would tell stories in, in, in kind of like living color language so that we could understand it. Uh, in Luke 15, you can go read there today. Uh, Jesus gives a series of, of stories to help us understand what the heart of God our Father is like. Uh, there are three of them. Uh, the first one, uh, Jesus tells us that God is like a shepherd who will leave 99 sheep to go find one that's gone astray. He's personal, he's individual. He goes on to tell us that God is like somebody who owns a house and has lost one coin and tears the house apart trying to find that one coin. Goes on to tell us that God is like a father with two sons, but one son has gone wayward. And the father is waiting, looking, waiting, longing for that wayward son to return. And when he returns, he runs to him. He embraces him. He, he wraps his arms around him. He welcomes him home. He throws this incredible party. Friends, resurrection power is not only about all humanity having an opportunity, but it's about you. You. And it's about me. We, we were on his mind when he was on the cross. We were on his mind when he walked out of that, out of that grave cave. And if you will let that hit your soul... It will change your life. And so what we celebrate on 
Easter Sunday. I love the way Charles Wesley wrote about this. He, he says, love's redeeming work, man, it's done. Right? Through the cross and the resurrection, they're, they're, they're an act of love for the world, but not just for the world, for you. He goes on to say, Jesus fought the fight, the battle won, death in vain. Forbid him rise, Christ has opened paradise. That's, that's what Jesus did for you. And if you know him, one day he'll call your name. Because the resurrection, because it's personal, there's another truth here. Because resurrection is personal and it's this calling, it requires a personal decision. You've got to decide what you're going to do with this. This, this personal experience, to have it requires a personal decision. So what do you say? How do you respond? Because I believe Jesus is asking each of us this question today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and life? Let's press on. Verse 44. The man who had died, speaking of Lazarus, came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. His faith wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And this shows me something else about what the resurrection is. Notice, Lazarus did not walk out as a ghost. He wasn't some kind of ethereal, kind of spirit kind of thing. He didn't walk out like a zombie. He walked out of the grave as a person that they're going to be able to recognize you know, he had a body they could touch. Linen didn't fall. It, it hung on him. And this helps me understand something else that's real about the resurrection. The resurrection is about a physical body resurrection, not just existing in eternity as a disembodied soul. For too long, followers of Jesus have wrongly taught that, assumed that in so many ways. And it's important to understand this. To Christ's followers, to Jesus, matter matters. See, the Bible teaches that creation matters, that our bodies, that they matter. We believe that God created this good world. He created it, and it matters so much to him that God's even unwilling for his creation to continue forever to suffer death and and evil. That's why he's promised that through resurrection power, he's going to recreate everything. He's going to recreate the entire universe. Now, I know some people, you know, you may be thinking or wondering uh, about people who are in heaven now, and you may be saying, Joe, doesn't the Bible teach that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? And I would say, yes and amen, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches that is not our final destination. That's not our final destination. We're not going to exist for all eternity, you know, in, in some kind of cloud space playing harps. The Bible teaches that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ are going to be raised, and we are going to be given resurrected bodies like Jesus had. It says we're going to, when we see him, we're going to be like him. That's what the scriptures teach. That's our destiny. And in Jesus' resurrected body, he was able to walk up and say, hey, touch me. 
Stick, stick your hand on my side. He was able to praise God. He was able to eat. And he's going to do that for all eternity. He's going to be in that resurrected body. In his resurrected body, Jesus could teleport and walk through walls. Sign me up for that, baby. You know? That's what resurrection looks like. It's going to be different. We're not heading towards this disembodied, you know, kind of ethereal experience. We're going to get resurrected, physical, upgraded bodies. I am going to be six foot eight. (laughs) Slam dunk, baby. It's coming. Things are going to be different for us. And, And friends, there's a book that helped me grab hold of this, helped me do a study of God's word about this. It's a book entitled Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It was a book that was very helpful to my dad after the passing of my mom for him to think about what eternity was going to be like and what her experience is, is like right now. And here's what, here's what we want to do today. There's a, there's a little 60-page mini version of that book. And we want, we want to make sure that you might have a shot at understanding about your eternity a little better. And so we want to put this in the hand of, of every household, of folks who showed up here today. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want one, if you will text uh, the word heaven to this number that's on the screen, you can get your phone out right now and just text. The, they're going to keep it up there for a minute. Text the word heaven to that number, just please one per household if possible, um, we, will, we will get one of these for you. I'll order them Tuesday morning. Um, we'll do a bulk order and, and get those in and, and get those to you. But we want you to, to then take it. it. It will be useful to help you do a little study of what the Bible says about your eternal existence and about what those who have gone on ahead of us could be experiencing right right now. We want you to dig in and understand what the Bible teaches about, about the resurrection. Now back in John chapter 11 verse 26, Jesus said everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. But now here's something you need to know about Lazarus. He died again. His, his resurrection is going to be different. His resurrection was different than Jesus. His resurrection is going to be different than ours. See, when, when Lazarus died, they had to go through this whole thing again. They had to have a service. They had to bury him again. I don't know, you know, what they did. Did they, did they pull out the same worship order? Did they see, sing the same songs thinking, didn't turn out so bad last time, let's do it again? I, I don't know, but what I do know is eventually they had to bury Lazarus again. But when Jesus walked out of the grave, never to be buried again. Jesus got up, walked out of the grave. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is your destiny too. You can expect the very same thing. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and said, so it is resurrection. That right now, right now, our bodies are sown. When you're born, the body that you get, that sown is perishable. What is raised... When you go through resurrection, that body is going to be imperishable. This is what Paul is saying uh, about about our bodies. Anybody got maybe a a jar of ragu at home or maybe a jar of pickles in a cabinet that hadn't been opened? Got any kind of unopened jars in your house? Do you know what happens the minute you break the seal 
on that, the content starts going bad. Doesn't it? You know, sometimes they say refrigerate or throw away after somebody, whatever. The moment you were born, you started going bad. Your, your body that you got here with, perishable baby. Now, the truth is, some of you know better than some others what it feels like to have a body that's perishable. Kind of breaking down, falling apart, ain't it? You know, we, we begin to experience that. But your raised body, never again. It will be imperishable. That, that's just going to be the truth. When you hear your name called and you walk at your grave, see, here's the reality about resurrection. Resurrection is a permanent reality, not a temporary state. Permanent reality, not a temporary state. There's not going to be sickness anymore in your resurrected body. There's not going to be death. There won't be heartbreak, no more cancer, no, no more diabetes, no more, no more evil, no more, no more, no more, no more ever again. It's all going to be gone. The Bible says that the old order, the, the way things happen now, is going to be gone. A whole new order is going to come. I love the way that the theologian Frederick Buckner speaks about this. He says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. I love that. It's never going to be the last thing. See, resurrection is God's reversal of death. And it's God saying emphatically, never, ever, ever, ever again. Never again. That's why I love this account from John 11. Jesus gives his friends this signpost, this foreshadowing picture of what's coming for him and what's coming for them. But Jesus isn't quite done yet. See, from time to time, we get these snapshots in living color. There are people that are a part of this church family who were a hair's breadth away from death. And God brought healing. God brought healing. Every healing is a taster of resurrection power. Just a little taste on the tip of your tongue. Just, just a, a little taste of what, what's yet to come. We get these snapshots. And there, there are people here who can give testimony after testimony of this. Just a small taste of resurrection. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul, like he said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, uh, or chapter uh, first. Chapter 15, he said, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? See, Jesus is showing us in no uncertain terms that death is not a match for the author of life. Death is not a match for the one who wrote the story of life, who, who gives us life. So here's what you and I have to wrestle with today. This, this is just where we got to end up. Coming to understand that resurrection is a gift and it's got to be received. And thinking about that major text that we looked at, John eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus says to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he uses this word, whoever. Whoever. Now again, I said this. I, I don't know what you walked in here with. 
I don't know what kind of darkness you have walked through in your life. I don't know what kind of abuse you have faced. I don't know what kind of pain has overwhelmed you. I don't know all the details of your hurt and and your story. I don't know. But I do know this. You are part of whoever. And I am part of whoever. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, whoever, though he will die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? See, when Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? It was singular. He didn't say y'all or all y'all. He just said, Martha, do you believe this? That's why Paul, when he was writing to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 10, in verses 9 and 10, he said this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Friends, that's a declaration back to Jesus. If you do that, that you're saying, Jesus, you're my king. You're saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to turn from my sin to you. I'm choosing to ask forgiveness, and you're telling Jesus, I want your resurrection power. I want your resurrection presence in my life because I realize you're the way, the truth, and the life. You're saying to him, I want the hope of eternity to step right into the middle of my present hurt. Jesus, I want your answer to heal my ache. That's what I want. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart. God raised him from there, and, and you'll be saved. And we all need salvation. We all need to be redeemed, to be restored, to be healed. Because every last one of us, we have that ache. We all somewhere in our lives experience that ache. And so the big question today is, do you want to live with that ache eternally? Do you want that ache to be with you for all eternity? Or do you want Jesus to answer the ache? Do you want Jesus to to deal with it? See, the truth of the matter, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto man and women once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Now, the question is, when you face that judgment, do you want to face it based on your own merit, or do you want to face it based on Jesus' merit? Because there's two choices here. Jesus is not going to force himself on you. Jesus is not going to force you to trust him as Lord. If you want to be away from God, God will honor that for all eternity. If that's what you really want, to be separated from him, he'll he'll honor that for all eternity. And Jesus named that place. Jesus called that place hell. I know nobody wants to talk about hell, but Jesus did. And that's the place where you're separated from God for all eternity because that's what you wanted. But if you want to be with God, If you want the answer to that ache in your soul, if you want his presence in you, well, that's a request that God loves to honor. He he loves to honor that invitation, that request, that you would believe, that you would confess your sin, that you would put your trust in him. You would want his presence for all eternity. You know what Jesus called that place? Heaven. 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 It was a place that God created 
for you and created you for. Death is no match for the author of life. The question is, will you let Jesus write your resurrection story? Will you let him write your story? Will, will you rise to life again? Because if you want it, you can ask Jesus for it right now. You can say, dear God, Jesus, I want you to write my resurrection story. And if you want to do that today, you can. And I'm going to invite you to do that just by simply praying with me. You make my words your own as I pray. And the Bible says that Jesus will write your, rewrite your resurrection story. Let's pray. Jesus, we come in these moments. We come after having heard your word that declares that you are the resurrection and the life. Not that it's just something that you did, but who you are. And if you're here today and you've never, you've never said to Jesus, Jesus, I believe, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And because of that belief, I confess that with my mouth right now. Just tell him that, Jesus, I confess that you are the resurrection and the life. I confess that, Jesus. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Tell him that. And I want you to rewrite my story. I want your resurrection presence in my life. I want you, Jesus. I choose to give my life to you. I put it in your hands, trusting you to give me resurrection life. Come into my life. Be resurrection for me, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Lord, we come. We come grateful that you are the resurrection and the life. And if you prayed that prayer just now, before you leave today, I'd love for you to stop me and let me, let me know that. Or if you don't want to take the time to have a conversation today, if you would just fill out a connection card that's in the seat back in front of you and drop it off at our, our welcome counter or, or stick it in one of our giving kiosks on your way out. We want to we encourage what God is doing in you, help you live out that resurrection power now, not just one day, but now. God, we, we also come in this moment believing, trusting in that day that's coming, but also that your resurrection power lives in us now, that we have hope now, that we can have joy in the resurrection now that is ours in you. And so we come. We come praising your name for that glorious day that is coming, but for that glorious day that has already come for those of us who prayed a prayer just like that, who have trusted you, who have heard you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You called our name, and we came out of death into life. 
and will do it for eternity one day. So we come now to worship you, the God of life, the God of resurrection, to hear our name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.